honestly, it feels a little squeezed in. feels a little forced uh, well, um, for this kind of parallelism uh, it, within the episode. Uh, but be that as it may. Well, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just saying you're comparing it with, you know, Roger hitting on Don's wife. Although I must say, although just bear, bear with me here. I will say now that I'm thinking of this through a little further, um, that's not really the the key humiliation here. There is a certain humiliation. Well, it's almost of, you know not being able to score with the woman that your friend just did. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. You ready for another? Or have you topped off your tank? You're leading this dance. Welcome to They Coined It. Hey, Roberta. Hey, Dan. <laughs> it's already going great. I promise you, listeners, it only gets better from here. <laughs> oh, boy. Red in the fa- you're, I'm red in the face already. Uh, We're getting started. I, my hand to God. So we have uh, red in the face to talk about, about which we have thoughts <laughs> and opinions. Thoughts. Imagine that. Before we get to that, we have a very special guest coming up next week. A legit Mad Men luminary. A beloved character. A cast member. That's actually the word I, I should have used. So, I, you know, we can't. We, that's it. We're teasing that. You will, be, you will be thrilled. We're tickling your rear ends with a feather. So just accept it. Enjoy it. Uh, for I'm now. sorry. We're what? We'll, Wait, uh, what? We're tickling your rear end with a feather. Tickling your ass with a feather. We're teasing. That's the I've never heard that I'm one. going with. I Really? I, I, it's a good one. I was so content never having heard I'm, that one, but okay. I'm giving it to you <laughs> and all of our audience. Excellent. Feel free. Anyway, um, we're really excited and you will be as well. So It's going to be great. More on that. So have you been watching Mad Men on IMDb TV, Roberta? So the what we talked about last week was this new thing with we've got IMDb TV uh, and they're 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 tweeting. If you're not following us on Twitter, um, that's most of you. But um, IMDb IMDb TV has been playing with us a little bit on there, so that's always uh, joyful. But we we wanted to compare. Well, look, I I, I think right now they're 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 testing the the testing the idea that you can't kill great content because <laughs> some of these commercial cuts are just brutal it's sort of like how much do you like Mad Men do you like it enough to um, take a commercial break in the middle of zooming in on a character's face how about that I had been less offended by it than you were so my curiosity was are we all getting the same right. commercial breaks or not so it was way worse for me I, than it was last time it was much more like what you said and then i also wanted to know are we getting the same commercials or are we being targeted because i had literally five or six different sanitary napkins tampons all kinds of things are are you getting those no i'm getting gillette i have a few gillette ads i'm having a lot of cpg cheese cheese it's okay a lot of fios from verizon first the first week that we watched uh, after IMDb took over, I watched it on my laptop where I think I explained a bunch of functionality, cool stuff and bringing in other IMDb content onto the interactive screen, which right. is kind of cool. But this week I watched it on my television television and way different experience. So the cutting is still lousy, 
But when you hit pause and you can kind of see the entire 44 minutes of content, you know, in, in a timeline, you'll see like little markings, like little hashes on exactly equal intervals. So every oh. 14 minutes, you're getting an ad, whether Don Draper's in the middle of a speech or oh. or Peggy's walking down the hall or the scene ends or it doesn't. It's bang. And these intervals are like regular, like there is they are equidistant apart. Oh, that's the answer. And that is a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, it wasn't totally random at the end of the day because they were generally at scene ends you know at, at, at between scenes so maybe there was maybe there was some manipulation and fiddling to, so that it wasn't totally egregious i only wrote down the first one to compare betty hangs up the phone after speaking to don she hangs up then there are commercials we come back from commercial and she walks away from that phone for half a second before it goes to the next scene so it is yeah it's it's stuff like that awful now i didn't get that one what i got was when Betty and um, Francine are ta- having that discussion at her table after she you know, uh, hauls off on uh, on Helen Bishop. They're doing a <laughs> zoom in on on Betty at the very end of that scene. And it literally is zooming in, cuts to commercial. And when it comes back, it finishes the goddamn zoom on her face for like four milliseconds. And you're just like, what are we doing here? Like, this is this is just no way to. All right, so present. here's so here's what we learned though. You're saying that this was a really good this was a really good little little study. So you saw the thing about the intervals. We are getting mm-hmm. different targeted commercials, probably based on our I don't know. For me, probably based because I'm getting it through Prime, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but they definitely know I'm a woman and that you like Cheetos. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. uh, we are not necessarily getting the same terrible cuts. But they are right. Uh, cut equally terrible in their equally own way. terrible in their own way. Um, so that was worth doing. The interesting thing that this all points to is that there are so many different viewer experiences. You know, we used to all watch TV one way, and then we watched TV a few ways, and now literally you're watching it on your television. Different. Like I don't have that thing when I pause. I don't have that grid up top. So it, we're all getting. It's not one thing anymore. All right, red. In the face. Episode seven, season one. It was written by Bridget Bedard, directed by Tim Hunter. The original air date was August 30th, 2007. And we think it takes place in late May, early June of 1960. I was thinking about it. Some of those, we, we back it up from when the next time we do know. That's, that's my best guess on that. So what we have here is more character studies, more diving into relationships between particular characters. And this is one of the more, I'd say, um, traditional in the sense that, you know, the things that happen in this episode, you know, there's not a lot of consequential stuff going on. It's a lot of like, oh, that time that, um, you know, Don and Roger had to race up the stairs for the meeting and Roger got sick, you know, that kind of thing. It's all about the relationships. I mean, the only the only thing that has maybe advanced in a plot point is... Almost nothing. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, trying to think of where you're going with that. There's, there's, I, you know, there's. I was a gonna say, bit is Be- the, the, the Helen and Betty thing is a little bit interesting. That 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 Helen had taken that position, and it's interesting that Helen, in her typical, I wouldn't even call her confrontational. I would just say she doesn't shy from confrontation because it's perfectly acceptable to go up to the woman you had babysitting for your nine year old and mention to her that you're not pleased 
that she gave a lock of hair to your son. I think that's what we should do. We shouldn't pretend that never happened if we found that lock of hair in the, in the boy's room. We are not accustomed. And you could see it in, in this episode and you can see it in our world today and in our politics today that a, that a woman who is does not shy away from appropriate conversations can be considered confrontational, right? But she's just a straight shooter. You know, it's like she didn't come knocking on Betty's door to have this confrontation. She wanted to just move on. But once she saw her, she's like, I, I can't help. I can't hold my tongue on this. And if she did, I'd say it's more in the how than the what. So even if she did knock on Betty's door to say, hey, what's this about? It's how you do it. You know, she's doing it as one adult to another. She didn't like walk up to Betty in the supermarket, you know, loaded for bear, ready to have a fight. She didn't walk up to Betty and I don't know, slap her. She's not going to ignore it. This is a woman who's not who, who's not turning a blind eye to things. Right. So um, we've seen that all season. So that's that, of course, she's going to walk up to Betty and go, what the fuck? He's nine. You, 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 what do you do? I don't even know what that is. What are you doing? So a lot of what we see is um, humiliation and its after effects for some of the characters here, in particular, Roger. And Pete, both both self-inflicted, by the way. And a lot of it is <laughs> steeped in their toxic masculinity, their images of themselves, and then other humiliations like Betty's and like Roger's is is about getting caught, mm-hmm. about getting called out and called getting out. caught. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that is one ca- category of these humiliations. Although would, it's just worth, worth exploring that. Would you call what Roger did or what happened with Roger getting caught? He wasn't called out by by Don. Did Don call him out? So let's get into that scene. Let's dive into that whole storyline and let's mm-hmm. let's let's find out. Let's see what we find out. If you back it up, it really starts with Roger finding out that Mona and Margaret are going away for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And there's the scene and then there's Bert Cooper who 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 gives him shit for being mm. a smoker. He's yeah. always talking. Now, Bert always talks down to people. He's talking down to Roger. He ends the scene with calling him peanut. All I can get from this story is that Hitler didn't smoke. And I do. Good night, peanut. Roger's experience of himself is that he goes around and dominates the world, except in that moment, you see what a little spoiled boy he is, and he's petulant. That's and right. when is he more That's petulant? Right when he gets turned down by Joan, right? And I I think you can put everything else that happens on on that moment. That is a hallmark of this show. The feelings and the consequences of what happens in one scene carries over into the future scene. So you can track, just as you're doing, you can track back someone's behavior to perhaps what happened. We've done it already. We did it like in Marriage of Figaro, right? Like he gets yeah. caught on the train and that is this train reaction of what happens, even though it doesn't appear that way. He's not talking about the guy on the train at all for that episode, but we can look at it and go, oh man, he was really rattled. And he, you know, A, B, C, D, uh, you know, he gets drunk and brings home a dog and skips the cake for the for the party, right? In the Mad Men style, there isn't any... Oh, I'm sorry. I think I was upset because Joan turned me down and that's why I hit on your wife. Right. Like that never oh, ever. Self reflection. Yeah. Forget that. Yeah. Self reflection or the or or unrealistic discussions that people don't have in real life. People just go around unconsciously doing the shit they do. 
All we have are dominoes. Exactly. No, this is a. Di- <laughs> I, I have it written down in my notes. Dominoes. And the un, the completely nonverbal thing that happens is, uh, the young ladies that that Rogers, you know, kind of boy, they lose that sparkle, don't they? The light goes out after thirty. <laughs> you know, all this kind of kind of real ogling that he's doing with Don. He realizes when Don goes to the men's room that they were really twinkling at dawn not, not at Rod. that's right and didn't see him actually didn't didn't he was invisible to them which is not not good for the roger sterling psyche and that was the moment well that's the dom that's one of the dominoes that was falling whatever the, the final spark of revenge he wanted to take out on privilege privilege yeah. like i can have whatever i want i can make you bring me home for dinner and i can i can hit on your wife i do want to i want to pause here to point out that this episode has two Fridays mm-hmm. in it. That first day is clearly a Friday. Joan is packed to go yeah. away for the weekend with her roommate, Carol. Everybody, there's a there's a buzz in the office. Don's going to be on the 501, 531. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Right? It's It's Friday. And then the next day, it's Friday again. Oh, they just... It is just it's, a fuck up. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's a two Friday episode. Meaning it was meaning it wasn't a week apart. It was a Friday. For, it was a double Friday in the Madman universe. Oh no no yeah this was the, because the next day at work when Roger brings gives Don the bottle that's an apology for last night. Ah, so it wasn't a Thursday Friday. And it's no chance. Nope. Of that? I mean, it's possible that Joan was going away for a long re- weekend and didn't address it, except except Roger also got a phone call from his wife that I'm going away for the weekend. It's Friday to everybody. I mean, maybe I have to go back and look because I'm not I'm no, not I was gonna say, like, I'm sure that they didn't. They certainly didn't I, mention, hey, it's a three day weekend. Right. That that's for sure. No. And they and they didn't say the word Friday, please. uh tweet at us or or contact us on our Instagram if you find any evidence yeah. that I'm wrong. But as far as I know, this has been well examined and it's a two Friday episode. So we get to the Drapers and Roger's privilege and sense of humiliation that he's already kind of been wrestling with. And drunkenness. Is, uh, yeah, and, and massive drunkenness. So first of all, I love <laughs> Betty's salad, which <laughs> has to has to be consumed because she's of course given her steak to Roger, to Don's boss. Big big dog gets the steak. That's what happens. It's just really uh the whole discussion of what's expected of her, you know, yeah. oh, what about what's in that freezer I bought you? Frozen frozen food they they don't have microwaves yeah, it's like, frozen he's dope right dinner's gonna be on the table for him something i wanted to point out just this week i happened to see a photograph of women from this era all in the grocery store all with their curlers and i had this thought and then mm. it was reinforced by that scene with betty answering the phone which is she's got her curlers in her hair she's running around getting ready to be pretty mm-hmm. to present her husband, she spends all day not ready. The only thing to get right. ready for is to That's present right. her husband dinner in her full makeup <laughs> with her hair done, with her crinoline. It's wild. I mean, it's just, 
It's wild. You know, especially in this, these... in this era that we're in where we're now all permanently braless and in sweats. Like, right? Like, like it, we're done. <laughs> we're over it. <laughs> I, haven't worn a, I haven't worn a bra in months. I, I know. know. And That's you feel good, right? <laughs> very liberating. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, one of these things that made its way, this was a number of years ago at this point. You know, one of these lists from a, you know, good housekeeping, you know, tearaway. Yeah. Uh, from from again, right right smack in the middle of this era, probably a little earlier, probably the mid fifties, was um, how to prepare your house when your hum- husband comes home from work. I mean, make sure the children are bathed and relaxed. It should be a quiet what, household. What children? For him to relax <laughs> after relax after a hard day. Uh, don't bring your problems to him. It's only going to further worry him and get him upset. You know, like all of these like wild things. About the uh, the the husband father provider eccentric household and uh, and it's it's just wild to even read it. I mean, it, to say it's anachronistic is like is kind of like beside the point. It's like it's the lengths to which the world revolved around <laughs> around Ward Ward Cleaver or whoever the whoever the the prototype is. The way she's running around is is like she's getting ready to go out somewhere and the only where she, the only where yeah. that she's going is at the dinner table for her husband's viewing pleasure. Now we we continue to get more insight into Betty's personal view about looking good and and what that means. We've gotten yeah. some already. We get but more in fairly, this episode. But this should be seen as fairly typical. But though, this right? I'm telling you, I just saw this photograph this week of it, it, you know, it was like it was like out of the Stepford wives except it was absolutely this era, it was, it, it, it could have been from this episode and there were, it was just this still mm. photograph of three women in a supermarket, three different women, all with their curlers and their scarves. And I'm like, you, <laughs> well, you go out like that for what's the end goal. The end goal is he's coming <laughs> home later. It's that's wild. Right. That's right. And I think it was played, you know, probably a hundred percent straight on the level right i mean that i don't think that the scene was meant to shock no the scene it's a slice of life it's how she would answer the phone when he calls and and she's also you know the whole thing she i mean just to she's a mess she's real she's mm. got a kid in one arm she's got another kid at her feet right. she's got the cigarette hanging out of her mouth she's not in clothing she's got her hair in the cur- half maybe half in or half out i don't remember but she's this is her like, like sort of, you know, like little, you know, like really grunting around trying to get her shit together so that she can be perfect and poised and not a hair out of place for dinner because she, he should never see her as she really fucking is. (laughs) Like that's how she really is. Right. And and it's uh, whatever. It's four o'clock, four 30 in the afternoon. He's calling to say, I'm going to be late and I'm, we're going to have a visitor for dinner. So yeah, she's, she's hustling around. It's later. Um, because he's calling from the bar and he was planning on being on the five thirty one. It's after, oh, it's after work. Right. He's he calling call at, the office. he's calling at five or five yes. thirty. Yeah. But she says to him, you're not staying in the city. Are you? Like, this isn't, I didn't just put all this together for nothing. Right. right? You're not going to be late. Yeah. So it's, it was one drink, I guess. Yeah. No, they, they, yeah. I don't think it was crazy late, but it was, uh, it was, uh, I, I won't be, I won't be alone for dinner. So, <laughs> so, so Roger gets to tell all these kind of whatever mm-hmm. war stories. And uh, I, th- I think some of that was kind of interesting, too, the way Don and Roger were going back and forth about the glory and your war and my war. And, 
you know, uh, weren't you scared? They never talk about how they were scared. They must have been scared, you know. And uh, it is an interesting kind of older generation, slightly younger generation take on it. And we don't know anything at this point about Don's war service, his military service or what he did in the war. This is kind of Roger in his glory, telling, telling, the, telling the stories and obviously soaking up Betty's attention. I also thought the war stories were interesting. I don't, I don't, um, <laughs> my brain doesn't glue to them the way, the way that I, that, like, I, I don't follow them as much. I don't have that vocabulary, but I thought that the whole dynamic of him uh, talking about these stories, Roger particularly, and then Betty, uh, Betty being inquisitive now, which leads to Betty twice gets accused by Roger and then by Don of being complete, basically throwing herself at him when that is not what I saw. What I saw was, you know, she was being, um, I mean, she's already been forced to entertain for the evening. Betty's doing a thousand percent what she's been trained to do. She was really good. She is being a good hostess. She is being interested in her guest. She is diffusing an uncomfortable situation. That's right. Which is what a woman's supposed to do. That's in right. The kitchen in private. She's not Helen Bishop, exactly. which is why, which is why that slap is so interesting. And I, 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 uh, I will just say that one of the one of the other themes in this episode that keeps what will keep coming into is misdirected anger. You know, it's. Mm. I, I mean. Betty slaps Helen because she's humiliated, but also she's been being humiliated through this whole episode. Everybody is telling her who she is and what she's doing. You're flirting with me. You're flirting with him. You're a child. You're a pervert. Well, that last one might be true. We're not, jury's out on that last one. But she's being, she's being confronted with her behavior that both she's, you know, guilty of and not guilty of. It just doesn't matter. She's constantly being browbeaten over over these some some of these are very petty incidents that she now has to explain herself that she has nothing to explain. Um, so yeah, there, that's a, a huge observation about Pet, about Betty about perhaps why she is the way she is mm. um, and what her intentions are going into everything. My intention: I'm going to be a perfect hostess. This is my it's my husband's boss. What's more important than being a great hostess when my husband's boss comes over unexpectedly? That's oh, right. Have the have the steak. Be interested. You know, be a be a good hostess. Ba ba ba. And then you know, it kind of turns really ugly when when Don's in the garage very quickly, and she has to defuse that, and she does that properly, and just everything is. She's got the textbook down for all of it. And then she's confronted with this one slip up from a few weeks ago. Before that, she gets confronted for for what she what she wasn't. You know, it was, so Don is very interesting in this episode because he punishes them both. Now, it, it, grant you, even if she I guess in fairness to that, even if she was flirting with him to the to the even if she was coming on to him even if she was quote unquote asking for it can you hear my pain and disgust in saying that even if she was roger still did what he did yeah there's there's no excuse for roger's behavior i mean there's no there, but what's interesting mostly to me about don's behavior is you know the the next day friday number roger two comes now now friday number two, <laughs> that um 
that Roger comes in, and as far as Don knows, he has no confirmation of whether Betty was coming on to Roger or Roger was coming on to Betty. He just knows the heat that was in the kitchen, right, when he came when he came back in. Here's what I think about that. What I think about that is the part of it that Roger filled in incorrectly is that Don was compassionate with Betty when she is that, you know, the way that Roger imagined it. Betty said, well, after Roger left, Betty said, well, here's what happened. And Don was like, oh, you poor thing. I'm going to kill him. Roger didn't imagine that that Don was a dick. Yeah, (laughs) Roger apologized because he thought he had to apologize. That's right. Yeah, no, I I can believe that. But but the reality was, in terms of Don's behavior, Don didn't know, you know, she didn't throw Roger under the bus. She she played, you know, she had to deal with that on top of the, you know, inappropriateness of Roger's behavior. Now, Don's behavior next day happens. Roger confesses to Don, who wasn't going to confront him anyway. Then when Don gets home that night, what does he do? He throws that insult back to Betty. You know, it's just me here, right? You got a whole pot roast, which is like sadistic. Like he doesn't need to do it at that point. What the what is what does he have? on Betty that gives him any privilege, any, any license to, to do that. I don't see it at all. It's like I said, in the one, in the one, on the one hand, it's misdirected anger. It's, it's, I mean, we're starting to get little teasers. But he knows exactly where to direct it. That's the, I mean, maybe he can't direct it at his boss. I, I get that. But he, 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 he plays off that scene in the office, in his office where Roger apologizes very, strategically yes he doesn't give roger too much he doesn't rub his face in it he doesn't humiliate roger any further than he has to you know then it then is maybe minimally necessary he kind of go he kind of looks at him sideways a couple times but but he lets it pass and he gives it an approving sort of you know needle at the end i think about you know betty's gonna want that glass back it ends on the right note if you're don like he's he's now been been dealing with this little bit of an issue of his boss hitting on his wife, which is just not cool, but he's able to play it off. What Roger was also doing, he wasn't just apologizing. He was insisting that Don accept the the apology. That's right. Exactly. That was you. W- right. We are here. pro forma. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that Betty said that I wanted to touch on. So I want to get your, your take on this. In the initial confrontation, where he, you know, he's confronting her about that she must have been coming on to Roger. She says something about, or she says explicitly, do you want to bounce me off the wall? Yes. And I'm like, where's that from? That, like that indicates some, some violent confrontation or alludes to something perhaps in their past or, that frankly does not, like that is, that is a, that is out there on its own. There is no more supporting right. information about violence or, or domestic issues of that kind with with Don and Betty. So I, I was always curious where that came from because it really seems out of left field unless it's not. Right. The way that I saw it this time, this viewing, I don't remember. I, I mean, that was definitely a shocking line and you do wonder, is there something in the past? Is this an expectation that that in a, in a, in a marriage, does she just have that? Is there, you know, I don't know from the past what it is, but what I saw this time, and it comes back to what you're asking, why is Don 
why is Don so angry with Betty? Why, why, why do they, why is this at some kind of boiling point? What it, it's almost like to me, like we're looking at a future, this marriage, like something is off in a bigger way than we've considered. And maybe things are not going so well. And, and again, I'm just looking at the moment. I'm not, I'm not projecting into the actual future. I'm just seeing what I saw. I have a really good ability to just watch for the first time and not sort of not project off, but there's, it just seemed like, oh, sh things are, things are boiling between them. I'm not sure why from either end, mm. but something mm. is now the only thing that we have from in this episode from Don towards Betty, other than this is that conversation with Dr. Wayne. And in fact, later on, he throws it in her face, right? You're acting like a child. That's mm. one more thing that he has right. told she is. So maybe this is Don's humiliation. When some when your boss hits on your wife, that's that's a again in the in the top in the masculinity in the way they're measuring, uh, that's a whack to him. But yeah. but the other thing is he's being told there's something wrong. There are he goes, there are deeper issues, right? I'm I'm maybe misquoting, but there are deeper issues. Yeah, no, that that's what he says. I, I don't know that I count I I feel like Don in this episode is outside of that humiliation dynamic. I mean, he's a part of it, obviously, with Roger and with Betty, of course, but I don't feel that he's being humiliated. At least I didn't get that. But if you go back to this, we've talked about it in, in previous episodes. If Don is doing his job as a husband and a provider, doesn't matter if he's fucking different women, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Fair his enough. only yeah, job is that Betty is well. Fair enough. And he's angry at her. Yeah. For not being well. For not being well. Yeah. Fair enough. I think I think there's there's an argument to be made there for sure. Now the other the other humiliated party in this episode that needs to be mentioned <laughs> is Pete, our friend Pete Campbell. So Pete's humiliation <laughs> comes at a slightly different level where he's returning this A chip and dip. I was gonna call it a erogenous party platter, but yeah, <laughs> a chip and dip, very sixties, almost cartoonishly you know, elaborate <laughs> type of type of serving piece. In our blog, we have a uh, a post about the history of that chip and dip, and we can put that in show notes for sure. Because it's it's like it's a cool collector's thing, right? And it's just the whole thing is hilarious, though. It's it's in a 1960s time capsule. This would have a spot, no question. He get evidently he and Trudy got two of these things. What are you going to do uh, as wedding gifts? What's interesting is his sort of enthusiasm for going to return this thing because that's not really seen as what as what a husband does, right? The husband's busy. In fact, he kind of has these exchanges with these women online. Oh, my husband's in advertising. He's a media buyer. He every you know he gets drunk every afternoon. What are you doing here? You know why don't you know? Him? Everybody viewed this as an emasculating thing. The 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 fact that he has this chip and dip, he is wide open. He's like, it's this cool thing. It's just that we got yeah. two of them. Totally. I'm gonna go return it. I'm gonna do this for my wife. And everybody yeah. cuts him down on every level of that. It's 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 almost almost not his fault that he. <laughs> goes completely bananas at the end. Yeah, no, I can see he he walked right into it. He had no idea he was stepping into a firing range. Ha, so to speak. Uh, you're right. By um by returning this thing. He just thought he was being a good husband. Little did he know, you know, there's humiliation around, around every corner. <laughs> and yeah. to top it off, he sees this college friend, uh Matherson, 
great a great Mad Men name right there. Just a one a one a one name character, Matherson. Is it Matherson or Matheson? Um, I don't know. I, I heard it as Matherson, so I could be. Wrong. I'm gonna check because I heard it as Matheson. We'll get back to you. Um, so he sees this college friend who's getting his squash racket restrung at the department store. They reacquaint whatever. The counter girl kind of it's clearly you know smitten with this friend with this Matha Matherson. All right. Uh, my research department has gotten back to me. I'm getting a, I'm getting something in my ear. It seems to be Matherton. So uh, none of the things we said. So there you go. Well done. Well done us. Thank you, research department. Well, and I'm double checking you. He has a first name. It is Matherton, confirming Matherton. Kicks. Kicks Matherton. Jesus Christ. These are the, these are the Brett Kavanaugh's of their day. <laughs> Um, moving on. So Matherton's flirting with the young lady behind the counter. Matherton kind of exits stage left and Pete then tries to, <laughs> tries to have his luck flirting with her. And she's just like rolling her eyes. Nothing at all. It's like, you know, <laughs> when I tell a joke to my daughter, I get, you know, the same kind of eye roll. This is what, so this is Pete's form of humiliation. Feel honestly, it feels a little squeezed in, feels a little forced. Uh, for this kind of parallelism within the episode, but be that as it may. Well, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just saying you're comparing it with, you know, Roger hitting on Don's wife. Although I must say, although just bear bear with me here. I will say now that I'm thinking of this through a little further, um, that's not really the the key humiliation here. There is a certain humiliation. Well, it's almost, you know, not being able to score with the woman that your friend just did but it's really about the fact that the what happens after this which is he exchanges it for the rifle poor choice and trudy then really humiliate that's the humiliation for pete is not is not this sort of trivial thing at the department store it's your wife like laying into you right but but again it has been a series for pete of humiliations everybody Everybody, every, you know, from the guys in the office to the women online to Matherton. Um, and then he, it's like, he's got, he, he can't just settle on the, on the humility. So he, he tries to compensate for these humiliations by revenge, not revenge flirting, but like to balance, like yeah. if you can flirt, I can flirt. And then that fails. And then he can't even get you know, he can't even get the freaking, he, they, nobody's listening to him. The customer service is nightmarish. Uh, you know, like it, it really, I was, I was, uh, I had a lot of years in retail like that, you know, but just, it wasn't in 1960 and that, that was making me crazy. He did have to say it over. It's like, nobody yeah, was listening no, to was, him. Was, He's like, he I said, it, yeah. no, I don't have a fucking receipt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we, we, there's we, no receipt because of how it was a gift. Like I said, so Pete, you know, how often do I defend Pete Campbell? This time, this, this often, okay. <laughs> this, this one often <laughs> right yeah. here, but I really like, he, he really, he was, he was, he really was like joyful. Like I'm going to go do this thing. And everybody shot him down again. Yeah. No pun but intended. Once his heart was in the right um, place and, doing the right thing. And he, you know, got lambasted for it. And then he, his, again, his masculinity was, I mean, this, it's just so classic. Right. That that he bought himself this rifle. By the way, that scene with Trudy um, was fascinating <laughs> with because Trudy's voice, right. clearly, 
Yeah, clearly they didn't they didn't bring her in for the day. She just voiced it. They she just did it in post. Yeah. Um, it was it was that was very interesting. Just you know to cat you don't you don't usually catch those things, right? right. But it was like it was we're not going to have a whole scene leading up to this. We're just going to have her laying into <laughs> laying into Pete for this yeah ridiculous thing. Uh, but what she says is what but what she says is so like you tell me I'm a child, you know I'm not a grown up, and here you are buying this rifle, which is kind of like the Don uh. Betty. Uh, thing right i didn't catch yeah that. so oh, she says a lot that's a, a very good a parallel in a short period of time but um but yeah so that's that's pete who you know then uh you know has this this rifle in the office he brings it back to the office and that leads to you know i have to say i've seen this episode you know a number of times over the years it's been a long time since i've really watched it and i never quite got what it was about <laughs> this 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 tale that Pete tells to Peggy, right? This is the other minor, you know, plot point I think that you could talk to in terms of just furthering whatever that sort of energy is between, between Peggy and, and Pete, which has been, you know, yeah, it's, on hold for a little bit, but um, that's right. We see this and Peggy goes in and she has a reason to come in. Cause he offered to check her work on the, on the, on the Belgian league copy. And she comes in and he's, you know, at his low point. He is very much at his low point with this rifle and it's sitting in the corner and he's on his, he's on, he's on that sad little couch. And uh, he has her sit next to him and he kind of just spills out his, his, his psyche. His fantasy. Of, yeah, his psyche. Of, uh, of going in and he, I never really listened <laughs> to the words of this, of this monologue. Oh, it's something. It is, uh, it, it, we all needed a cold shower after. I mean, it is a uh, it is a <laughs> sexually laden um, piece of writing. I I never even looked at it the least bit sexually, which obviously I'm the idiot because you know Peggy had was sweating at the end of this thing, and I I was it always was really... like really from that because he killed a bear or whatever. Like I don't know what that is. Then I'm listening to it. I'm like. This is, the, this is the sexiest story I've ever heard in my life. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I right, just didn't so know I, what where it came from. But I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, now I get why she needs the the cherry Danish at the end. I get it now. I never got it before. I I, I was sort of I was of two minds of the of of that interaction. You know, the, so the one thing is you've got the lead up, which is he's offering to read her copy, and you don't know what either of their motives are there. You you could you could generously look at that at either of them as as it not having anything to do with a, with an attraction. You could look at him as simply being I can I can be dominating in in the world. I can assert my you're, you're she's the one person who's actually saying wait one, you you can give me creative input. That's right. I, the, <laughs> the the one person that he and again it's immature on his part to think about it in terms of dominant or you know one-upping or whatever like that we know that yeah. he is because that's who he is um but legitimately the one person who can make him feel better walks into his office and the way he can feel better from her is by having her respect his opinion right because yeah. nobody yeah, well, else she's, does. she's in a compliant or rather submissive uh state anyway because she's seeking his his, yeah. his 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 assistance and and guidance on on her copy so I think her motives are pretty, She'll take any, yeah, yeah. and I think her agenda is pretty out in the open. She didn't go in there for a for a, any kind of personal reason. You don't know. 
there's again there's you look at those the, the what leads what leads up to that moment on the couch and there's no indication either way now the last exchange they had was that was was at peggy's desk where they said it didn't happen i mean that was the last exchange. so you, that's where it's stasis since then i'm telling you if the boy i slept with and it was it really did mean so, it, of course it meant something to her so peggy didn't put it behind it peggy's walking in that office even if it's not in the forefront of her mind, you're saying it could I mean, be. I don't know. Again, there's no indication that it's anything other than respectful. But you, but you can't help but one. You don't see anything else, but you can't help but wonder. Remember, she took his postcard. Yeah, you you can't rule it out. You you can't rule it out. But there's no evidence of anything. Yeah, you know, that's ex- agreed. There's no evidence, so you don't know from either of them. You can't see evidence that it's anything other than the business that they both say it is and the approval that they want from each other on a purely professional level. Now you get in there and this, she didn't know she, she, didn't know she was walking into a, uh, a stag right. film. So he <laughs> starts that. to tell this, he starts to tell this story and he starts to tell it. And you're kind of like, what the, where are you going with this? But then as he, as he gets there, it's, it's not that it's, it's not that it's sexual. It's that it, it is it, sexual. It, it's that it's, I'm going to pin the legs up. I mean, it's Roberta, it's sexual. It's, it's overtly sexual. And she's right there. Like the, the, the reaction shots on her, which she is going there with him. When he starts telling it, it seems like it's something he doesn't know much about. And then it becomes almost fearless. Right, because he because he started out he starts out by saying, "Oh, I went once, and we hunt, what did we get rabbits or something like like it's kind of it's no big game hunter." Pete seems like somebody who's never gotten his hands dirty, and whether he has or not, that his fantasy has him so willing to to do this. That was very interesting yeah, to me. Wiping the wiping the bloody knife. Yeah, on his that knee. he. I mean, it's ugh, it's gross. I was not so. Uh, excited by the end of it, but I definitely, I definitely saw what happened. But Peggy was so interesting in her. You don't see the reaction. You don't see the reaction. You don't know how this feels to her. And then toward the end is when you're like, "Oh shit, she's all in. She's all in. Those knees, Those are, knees wobbly. are wobbly yeah. <laughs> for real." So, yeah, she is staggering out that door. And then you're kind of like, well, maybe Pete should write some fiction because that was yeah, something. exactly, exactly. For someone who's not, he's not a professed big game hunter, yet he just put all of this tremendous detail, sexual and otherwise, into this this story, and it's it wasn't it wasn't a bad account. It you know what I mean? It wasn't. It, it was it was it was a well crafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was incident it was, that he just related, and and like I said, um, it was fearless. It wasn't. It wasn't pristine. Yeah. It was. It was. He was not afraid to get his hands dirty. He, I would say, in that moment, he was inspired by whatever was inspiring him. He was inspired, and you know, you go from this gun, this rifle. Oh, you're such a little boy, and this is such a trivial thing, and you're so silly, and yet he's got like something underneath that is related to that rifle that is meaningful to him, which is. That's you can't judge that. That that is there, and so Peggy. Oh, like I, said, I can judge one, it. <laughs> well, no, you can't <laughs> judge the fact that he was inspired. That's my point. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, agreed. Um, agreed. And that, <laughs> and that, as we said earlier, the one person who can make him feel better walked in the door. And fully, with that whole thing, fully validated him. Did make him feel better. Right. And, she, and when, I speak, when, I, when we say you can't judge that, she was right there with him. She was not agreed. there to to judge in any way. She was 100% supportive, which... Look, if there's anyone who needs 100% support, it's Pete Campbell. So he's right there. You've been team. I don't get, I've never seen the chemistry between Pete and Peggy. Where are you now? Oh, this was evidence. This was actual evidence. This was actual connection that indicates, wow, you know, here's two people that are there. There's something underneath the surface with these two. Before this, no, no, not before this. All right. You know what? Time for a break. Let's take a quick, yeah, let's do it. We'll be right back. With Nixon? No, thank God. Otherwise, I'd have to move the piano out of my office. There's this ongoing discussion at a very high level within the firm about Nixon hiring Sterling Cooper, which is kind of like tantalizing, right? Because it's a very historical fiction kind of element to all this. Uh, but I think there's there's a lot of um, interest in this idea of what the relationship is or could be or is shaping up to be with the Nixon people. So there's this <clears throat> kind of brainstorm, account brainstorm internally, right? This is before the, the Nixon boys get there where they're talking about, you know, Nixon as a candidate and, you know, he and JFK are roughly the same age and they started Congress together and one's been vice president for eight years. The other hasn't done anything. And it's just a great, you know, I remember watching this when it first aired and I'm like, you know, A, it's easy to forget how many, how much better Nixon's resume was than JFK's going into the election. My ear is very different today than it was when I watched this for all of this stuff because Mm -hmm. I used to never pay attention to politics until 2016, Um, except I always knew who Nixon was, but I certainly never considered I never considered those questions, and you're right; it's fascinating. It is and, that and he was the he was the privileged and the you know the Catholic thing was always weirder yeah, than I ever understood. Forty five going on fifty years, you know, the Nixon brand was synonymous with Watergate and scandal and corruption and all, and all these other things, which he earned. That um, has kind of overtaken much of the first part of his career, which was you know a lot a lot of stuff in in Congress, a lot of stuff. Um, as vice president. And look, he was vice president throughout the 50s. There was a ton of consequential foreign affairs and many things going on internationally that Nixon was a huge part of. Um, So anyway, he's a consequential figure and JFK, not so much at that point in time, uh, pre-election. So in a way, I remember watching this and kind of thinking, like, are they trying to, like, burnish Nixon's image? Is this, like, some kind of an attempt <laughs> to, like, show us what a great guy Nixon really was? But but beyond that, they're weighing all these pros and cons. And Pete's observation is, like, look, you know, you know who else doesn't wear a hat is Elvis. And JFK is Elvis. And we're now, you know, if we're going to help this Nixon guy, we're competing against Elvis. I have to give it to you, Dan. You've been you've been pointing all through this podcast here, right? As we've gone episode to episode and 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 when it comes to Pete in the office, you keep pointing to that Pete is right and that Pete is forward thinking. And I think this is the 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 most clear example we've had of that. Um I mean, he's 
a hundred percent being shot down by a bunch of older guys and older thinking guys saying, no, no, son, this guy has no future. And he's going, what do you, what do you, I mean, (laughs) this is, you know, speaking of sex, right? Like he's, what he's saying is this is, this guy's rock and roll. Yeah. Pete's intuition is so strong and usually on target. And it's exactly how it would be received, frankly, because Bert's Bert's response to Pete saying this is kind of what was it something like, remind me not to have the younger account people in for these meetings, you know, like what a waste of time. But of course, to our ears today, and even ten years ago or whatever, when when this aired thirteen years ago, that's exactly how we view JFK as being the cooler, the hipper, the more attractive. That's a given that that JFK beat him, even though it was at the time, the slimmest of slim margins in history uh, for JFK to win the presidency. It's also a given now that you would want a younger person's mm-hmm. input and perspective yep. on, to, on to, you know, you would never yep. dismiss a, an opinion like that. Yeah. At this you point, the war is over just 15 years and the baby boom has not, you know, it is just beginning to peak its head in terms of youth culture and uh, the value of, of, of youth, both economically and commercially and, you know, obviously politically at some point. But it, it's in no way a mainstream thing at this point. And That's right. yeah, the Beatles are, you know, three or four years off. It's, it's, just, it's just still out there. It is still 1955 to, to, to most of the characters here. We start to see more of that, honestly, in season two. The first episode of, of season two mm-hmm. is uh, yep. is called For Those Who Think Young, That's right? right? Ex- so. Exactly. We, we see it happen in real time. This predates all of that. And again, I kept, I'm watching that scene and I'm going, Dan is right. You are, <laughs> you are, you are correct, sir. Right. <laughs> you are on top of this. Um, can we just touch back on that Francine and Betty scene? Mm. Um, because it, well... It's Betty. First of all, just, I just love Francine. <laughs> just anytime. I mean, I know we've talked about it, yeah. but anytime she shows up, I am happy. No, um, I mean, forget the power dynamics of the of the neighborhood and the and the mean girls and and the fact that the fact is that Betty, uh, while that slap may or may not have been warranted, um, the fact that that nobody really knows why why Helen's mad at her, like the gangs have been formed. <laughs> Right. But he, but he wasn't going to say, and then when she found that lock of hair that I gave Glenn, right. She's not. Exactly. Right. right. And, you know, and Francine doesn't ask. She, I mean, are you okay is an interesting approach, but it, it isn't. Well, when she says what happened, well, when she says what happened, Betty said, whatever you heard, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I can't get into right. it. Cause what am I going to say? She approached me right. about what am I, that's the true. completely inappro- age inappropriate thing that I did with her son. That, that That's not going to happen. I, now I can't remember what Francine actually says in, but there's something about, you know, kind of, I've always got your back. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I kept, and I, I just thought, do you <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like, like what, what's that based on? Like, well, Francine's out there to be a gossip as much as anything else, I'm sure. And she likes Betty because Betty's warm and welcoming and pretty and correct, you know, and, and correctly status. No, to me, actually, the significant part of that scene is Betty starting to own her sexuality, her feelings of, of, so you've got this whole thing of Betty um, that we've seen and heard several times of positioning herself and, and, you know, her, clearly this was what was told by her mother. She is only valued 
what I mean, what's the line? I, I only I, I feel like if if I look good, if I look pretty, then that's how I earn my keep. And she's saying that in relation to Dr. Wayne. Yeah. It's for the world that she's earning her keep. But then she goes further and says, but I like it. Yeah. And so suddenly she's talking about having sexual feelings unrelated to Don Draper, only related to herself and how she likes to be seen, mm-hmm. which is interesting on its own merit. And also it makes me second guess, well, maybe she was flirting with Roger. Hmm. And again, I don't see it. I don't see it. But if she's feeling it, maybe she's got a little of her own guilt also feeding in this whole storyline. I, I think we can also define there is harmless flirting. Of course. Well, not according not according to Don. No, but but if she's if she's on the on the outside doing everything that we said, she's the perfect hostess, she's keeping she's being engaging and interested in her guest, blah blah blah. But if just beneath, at the same time she's doing all those things, she is, you know, enjoying the attention from Roger and trying to give it back in a, you know, nonverbal way, then, um, you know, two things can be happening at the same time. So, and not that she has to feel guilty about that, you know, to, to our to our perhaps way of thinking. To hear her start to not just experience herself as sexual and enjoying that, but to actually say it in words to her, Mm. to her girlfriend is, you know, that's, that's something that's bolder. That's a bolder Betty than we've, we've seen. And it's, and it's an interesting new dynamic. We've seen her be like insatiable for Don. Right. And now what we're seeing is, oh no, it's something it's, it's her. She's owning that it's her. The pot's boiling. And that's cool. Yeah. Under the cover. This is in this in this episode where a lot of people are behaving badly and they're not wonderful. Here I am. I've defended Pete <laughs> and I'm kind of a Betty fan in this one. Um, I think the last point we want to hit here, is, you know, and this discussions made me appreciate this episode probably a little bit more than I did before the discussion. Um, but this is not one of the best episodes. Again, I, I, I we said it way at the beginning. The bet, you know, even the worst Mad Men is still a four out of five, or a three and a half. And this, but this, you know, this is that. This is not my favorite. Nothing's really revealed. We've got this larger mystery about Don. We we've had the whole thing about Don's brother. Um, all these kinds of balls in the air that are not coming down. And uh, maybe that's part of the point. Maybe that was part of the tension of of ratcheting things up a little bit plot wise. No Rachel, no Midge. No Rachel, no Midge. And it's, um, and so this felt like an episode that they kind of filled in after the plot points all got mapped out <laughs> to kind of go, okay, we got to do some character exploration here. Let's come up with a little, you know, thing. And the the whole kind of slapsticky ending. Well, that's, is, okay. Is, 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 yeah. is so, kind of the, 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 the bullet on that exclamation point. I don't know if I see it so much as... I don't know that I see it as like filler or missing or mi- even though I just named Rachel and Midge. I mean, this focused much more on Don and Betty's marriage in a way that we haven't mm-hmm. always focused on. So I don't necessarily see it that way. I just feel like it doesn't, even though, again, we we did come, we did figure out all these themes. I mean, it's called Red in the Face. It's about the, these humiliations and th- there are themes. It just never felt like a cohesive episode. And when we get to this ending. It is slapsticky. It is kind of cartoonish the way it's shot. You know, Don smirk as he walks away. But but I'll, I'll say one thing for the ending that that's a positive for me, which is 
what makes Mad Men so different from everything else and, and stand out from so much else is it's raw. You don't see a lot of full head to toe shots of someone vomiting in a very raw kind of completely un, you know unexpected way. I mean, obviously it's there for shock value, but but it was very raw the way it was executed. And in this series, you know, that's just a jumping off point. You're, we're going to see lots more, not a spoiler here, but you're going to see lots more raw types of, of, of action and behavior and the way that, you know, I think Matthew Weiner's called, you know, the coarsening of the culture, right? Things get mm-hmm. much more, um, go much more so, more raw, more, more unfiltered that um, this is just a, a, a tippy, tippiest tip of the iceberg. You've got this storyline where, where Don is clearly out to get some revenge, to, to reassert, to really re, it, it's all a, it's all a, a, I'm picturing like two, two wild cats mm-hmm. sort of, you know, stalking each other, right? Like samurais, like something they're circling They're you know, because the whole first part was Roger reasserting his domination over Don. And then the whole second part is Don reasserting his domination mm-hmm. over, over Roger. Um, but it's just so implausible. The vomit was disappointing to me as an ending, as a, as the kind of thing that Mad Men doesn't do. Yeah. Like there's no way that he could have like like you can't plan a vomit. You just can't. <laughs> and it looked like he did. Now, what was raw was how terrible Roger looked before he vomited. He wasn't red in the face. He had no color at all. I mean, they really made him look like on death's door. Mm-hmm. And that to me was very raw and very powerful. Now I understand the the scene can't end without the vomit, but it just the whole thing. And and, and in case you missed it from one viewing, go back and watch. I remember not quite catching it on my first viewing, like that that really was a full and complete setup where Don paid off the elevator guy to have the out of order sign up. You know, he takes him to this lunch. He goes head, you know, toe to toe, head to head, whatever that's called, martini for martini, oyster for oyster, cheesecake for cheesecake, cigarette for cigarette. And then he makes him climb those stairs. And that white, decrepit, sweaty man would have been enough. And the vomit was a perk. But just because of because it's a TV show, it looks like the vomit was planned. And that's just stupid. Right. And it, I'm never I never accept it as a as I never accept it as the as madman quality. Exactly. Because Don, Don didn't Don didn't say, oh, and then he's going to puke when he gets there. It was, he's going right. to be too winded. He's, he's going to have to stay in this. He'll be 10 minutes behind me. You know, something that's just more about supremacy. And, and the fact that he got up there and puked on these guys' shoes was kind of like the, the cherry on the cake. It was a perk. It's like it's from another TV show. But it's beneath, like, yeah, it's beneath it Mad t- It's completely beneath Mad Men. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I never, I can't forgive it. All right, so on that note, <laughs> I'm going to we'll go brush my that, teeth. Something's be, be beneath <laughs> Mad Men, right. We're going to take some Pepto. Um, yeah. I'm take a little Pepto and, no, we're going to take, so we will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have our favorite quotes. We are back. No, that was ridiculous. We're back. <laughs> Joanne Worley. <laughs> 
She was a gem. Is she alive? I can't remember. I think she's alive. I'm going to say she's no longer right. with us. We'll get back to you. Are you going to Google that real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, for the kids listening at home, Joanne Worley was uh, a 60s icon. She was a regular on uh, Laugh-In. She was a wonderful comedian. And there weren't that many, bo- you know, like body hilarious women. And yeah. she was, she, she was one. She looked like a drag queen. She, she was like a, she was a broad. That's what I would call her. She was like a she was 60s broad. broad. <laughs> uh, still with us. Joanne Worley is still with us. Good. She is, That's what um, I thought. she is, I want to say she's 83. She was oh, she's not old. 19, 1937. 82. She is 82. Okay. She's been in the business since 1955, so there you go. She could have been in Mad Men. She could have actually been in Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And but they probably allude to her at some point. Anyway. <laughs> oh, boy, the quotes. All right. So, <laughs> again, it isn't the most quotable. I mean, it's fine. This this line was always stood out to me. And uh, uh, so you've got Roger Sterling saying, one minute you're drinking in a bar and they come and tell you your kid's been born. The next thing you know, they're heading off to college. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is quite a timestamp. <laughs> I'll, I'll circle back and say not the most quotable episode. This is. No. But I do love this one. When Pete first offers to, to check Peggy's copywriting and uh, Peggy Olson says, Mr. Rumson liked my ideas at the brainstorm thingy. Pete Campbell says, sanitary napkins? No, lipstick. Pete says, what I say? <laughs> so, <laughs> Such an asshole. I just love yeah. how no. just sort of like written into the exchange is how clueless Pete is. If a woman's lips are flapping and she's obviously talking, I'll assume English, at me. And if the point is something about her being a copywriter on some account, it's got to be sanitary napkins. If I thought really hard, I could come up with a second one. Perfume. Yeah. And he doesn't even listen to what came out of his own mouth. No, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm on so autopilot. Significant. Exactly. I don't know the difference between a sanitary napkin and a lipstick. Right. <laughs> and then, and then, so no, she says Jesus. lipstick, and then he's just like, "Did I, did I respond to what you? What I say? Did I say something to you in response yeah. to that? <laughs> so beautiful, great writing, and great, oh. and great delivery performances by, by the actors. I got it. I. I I wanted to say earlier, the two of them in this episode, yeah, I mean, they're just good. such wonderful actors. That's right. All right. So that's right in the face. Um, I do think we found a lot more in it than we yeah, kind of expected no, to, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bumpy episode for my sure. My appreciation for this episode has grown. I'll say that. Good. There you go. What there you more do you want? Well, then we're doing our, jo- then we're doing, doing our, our jobs. Job. That's what it's about. Now, next week. Whether I've grown, that's our job. Grow for me to grow. <laughs> It's a lifelong proposition. It's it's my mission Mm. to improve you. Well done. That's not true at all. You earned your keep this week. But you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so next week we've got the Hobo Code, which is a gem of an... I mean, it is one of the absolute... Did you just make like a... a, Like it's so good I can't stand it. That was the noise. It's so. I was thinking this, a Hannibal Lecter noise. Oh, <laughs> did you just? No, I didn't do that. <laughs> suck I, on a fine Chianti yeah, and uh, anyway. fava beans. No, I I can do that, but I didn't do that just now. Um, okay. No, Hobo Code is on Mount Rushmore, without question. This is my single favorite episode. So it's 
just there's so much here going it's, on so much to i haven't seen it and so me neither no, i haven't seen it I, I could probably i can't wait i'm so ex- i could probably you know dive right into it now if if we needed to because it's that imprinted on my brain but the the um yeah agreed it's so beautiful so if you you know if you're new or if you haven't done this in a really long time you you can't wait either check it out watch it. and we do and we do have a prominent fabulous uh actor from from that ep- from that cast from that episode next week with us and uh that is super exciting awesome so um if you are enjoying us please uh review us favorably on uh on i is it itunes or apple what is it called is it still on all of them the only major platform we're not on is but the reviews reviews yes reviews on apple please put your reviews on itunes yeah please do that and uh thanks so much for joining us we will see you next week bye-bye